Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I'm Lori Guineer. I used to be on staff here until seven years ago I left. And every time I walk in these doors, it's like I'm home. Like I want to kick off my shoes, and I won't do that, I promise. Um, but it just, it feels like home, and so many familiar faces, and so many faces that I am not familiar with, and that's a sign of a growth of a church. Amen? So I welcome you to be here uh, tonight with me. When I was asked to come and share about grief, Jesus, our counselor. Today, my first thoughts were, certainly there has to be somebody that's more qualified to talk about grief than me. So before we begin, can we just bow our heads for just a moment? Jesus, we invite you to be here tonight to do what only you can do in our hearts as we open up wide tonight. And we talk about such a difficult subject. And to some, I know it's going to be painful. But Jesus, I know that you understand that. And you promise to be right here with us and to embrace those whose hearts are still grieving so desperately. So be here with us and each one of us do what only you can do in each heart that's here tonight, preacher included. So we commit our time to you and ask that you be glorified in everything that is said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was our model for how to walk through grief, how to navigate through grief. When I think of counselor, because I've done a fair amount of pastoral counseling, I think of a desk, right? And somebody is on the other side of the desk or a couch and somebody is on the couch next to you. But that's not often how Jesus is our counselor. Yes, he does sit down with us, right? But he, but he counsels us as we walk through life. And I believe that's what he modeled for us, and that's what I want for us to be able to see tonight. The second thing that I thought when Mandy had called and we talked was there's so many different facets to grief. What facets do we want to even look at? It's a broad subject. But grief comes from a variety of things. And most often when we say grief, we think of the loss of life. And I think this last year and a half, there has been more loss of life than most of us have ever seen in our entire lives. I know I have lost count of how many people that I know that we've lost. Not just the pandemic, but other things as well. But there's also other grieving that comes from loss of jobs, that comes from loss of homes, that comes from broken relationships. And those grief, that grief is just as difficult for some as the loss of a loved one. And if you're caught in the throes of grief, it's a very confusing time and it's a very painful time for some. And it comes in waves, just like being out in the ocean. It's very, predict it's very unpredictable. 
We've been in the ocean a couple of different, well, a number of different times now in Mexico and in Hawaii. And how unpredictable some of those waves are. But yet, you can see some of them coming and you know that you're going to drown in the water if you don't figure out what to do about it right quick, right? And I was telling them the story this morning when I was here that sometimes I, I think I'm dumb as a box of rocks. We're in the ocean in Mexico. I did not know. Don't ask me why. I'm old. I should know this. That there's a flag. And it flag changes colors depending on how difficult the water is and when you shouldn't go in the water. Well, unbeknownst to me, the flag was red that day. Well, that means danger, don't go in. You're going to drown. Me, I get down to the water and I'm like, cool, there's nobody else down here. They must all be eating lunch or something. Look, we can do whatever we want. Well, the truth of the matter was I nearly drowned that day. But we learn how to, in, in, in waves, we learn how to navigate through them. We learn sometimes that we need to jump real high to avoid being hurt so desperately. So here we are approaching Christmas. And there's red flags all over the place for some of you. Some of you that have lost loved ones, some of you that have broken relationships, some of you that have lost jobs. There's red flags all over the place. And the thought of celebrating Christmas can be a bit more than we think we're able to deal with. We fear sometimes that we're going to drown in the midst of it all. And that if Jesus doesn't come and wrap a tourniquet around our hearts, we're sure that we will bleed to death. That may not be where you are, but surely that's where a lot of people are this year. Like I said, we've seen so much loss of life. Family, friends, and loved ones, you may know many other people that are going through the loss of something very dear to them. And there's all kinds of practical things that we could talk about, like celebrating the life of someone that is not here this year. They're not going to be at, around your tree this year. They're not going to be at your dinner table this year. I remember the year that my mom died, and I just checked out. I just told my family, we're not doing Christmas. The thought of sending out cards was unthinkable. The thought of putting up a Christmas tree, I couldn't do it. So I just told the family, I'm sorry, we're not doing Christmas this year. I'm not baking, we're not doing anything. And I was sitting down one day and I was having conversation with Jesus and I was crying and I said, God, I can't do this. I simply can't do it. And he said to me, as only he can, he said, Lori, can you celebrate her life? Can you do that? He was walking with me through this whole thing and he asked me a series of questions. And he said, what did she like about Christmas? What was her favorite food? And he asked a series of more questions. And he said, can you do that? Can you celebrate her life? And it was a game changer for me. It put a little bit of bounce back in my step and announced to my family that we're going to do Christmas. We're going to do it just a little bit different. And we remembered her. We celebrated her life. And then we had a blast. It's like it freed my heart up for just a moment that I was able to celebrate with my family. In the Word of God, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures today. There's a lot of scriptures that we could go to, but we're going to look at two in particular. 
But the title of my message is Bring Them Here to Me, and that's going to make sense in a moment. In Matthew 13, it talks about the feeding of the 5,000, and that sounds like a weird thing to talk about when we talk about grief. But I will get there in just a moment. How there are some interactions with people throughout the word that Jesus taught us and he modeled us how to, how to walk through grief. And the first one is in uh, the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and he did not go right away. Tell me that wouldn't have been a conversation you'd have had with him. It's a conversation I would have had. What do you mean? You knew two days ago and you didn't come? Because we have those kind of conversations and we get that kind of irritated sometimes and he knows that. Jesus, seriously, you knew he was dying. When Jesus finally got there, Martha ran out to meet him. In John eleven twenty one. 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So even though she was frustrated because he wasn't there and he could have stopped the whole thing, she was still pleading with him that if you will just ask God, he will do whatever you ask. Jesus then said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, and here's how the way I think she said it. You know, we all have lenses that we read the word through, right? Here's what, what I think she said. I know he's going to rise on the last day. I know that. I know that. I would have almost felt as though it was a condescending kind of response. But then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And I think he said this with every amount of compassion that he could. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And that was enough to tie a tourniquet around her heart for a minute while she ran back and she got her sister. And in verse 32, it says, And when Mary arrived and she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. And I'm sure her falling at his feet was weeping and saying, if you would have only been here. When Mary, Mary arrived, she saw Jesus, and she fell on his feet, and she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, I'm sure that was an intense conversation. In 33, Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, he saw the other people wailing with her, and a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. And he said, where have you put him? And I think, and this might be a bit more conjecture than I should have, but I think that when this anger rose up with when Jesus, he saw front and center what sin and death does to us as people. And anger rose up within him. And then compassion rose up within him. It says, then they told him, Lord, come and see. And it says that Jesus wept. You see the interaction? Do you get that he wasn't the Superman that rushed in to save the day, but he entered into their pain in the same way that he enters into our pain. He enters into our grief. 
And he comes alongside us. He certainly showed that pain and anger and grief are a normal part of life. Moving on to Matthew 13 and 14, and again, this sounds like a dumb scripture to jump into. We're jumping into the feeding of the 5,000. It will make sense in a moment. Bring them here to me is what Jesus said. And he said this as there was 5,000 hungry people sitting there, not including the women and the children that were there. But there were several things that I want us to grasp out of this story. The encounter in Matthew 14 starts with these words. When Jesus heard what happened. Now, how many of you know that when you open up your Bible and you sit down and you read something like, when Jesus heard what's happened, you need to figure out what he just heard. If you want to get the whole context of what happened here, what did he just hear? It's like a scripture that says, oh gosh, now the word just escaped me. That's what happens when you get old. But this says, when Jesus heard what happened, so what happened? Let's look at the backstory that goes back to Matthew 13. John the Baptist had been arrested and he was thrown into prison by Herod. And it was Herod's birthday. And he had a birthday party. And his daughter danced at that birthday party and she did such a phenomenal job. And he was so, so pleased with what she did that he promised her that she could have anything she wanted for what she did at that party. She went back and she consulted her mother. And came back and said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Who does that? Who does that? When I was reading that, I'm thinking, oh, there's movies we wouldn't let kids watch if they had somebody getting their head chopped off, right? But here it is in God's word. What was Jesus grieving? After After this all happened, the disciples Buried his body, it says. It says, and then they went to tell Jesus. So that's what happened. Jesus had just heard about John. Not just a friend, but a family member, a ministry partner. So this deep grief, you talk about grief, you talk about anger, and yes, even in Jesus. And what did he do? He did what you and I would do. I know that there's people in this room that you've entered such deep crisis at times in your life. Those times when somebody tells you something so horrible that all you can say is, I need a minute. I just need a minute. We just have to get away. And that's what exactly what Jesus did. There's times that we have to get away and even trying to pray, the words elude us. And we find out later that people had been praying for us, and if they weren't, sometimes we need to just sit, and we need to ponder, we need to meditate. We need to give our emotions a minute to catch up with what we just heard. But Jesus understands. He's been there. He says, go and be alone and process, but don't stay there. To quote your pastor, I've quoted him many times with this, time is short and eternity is long, and there's work to be done. So we grieve, and Jesus walks with us in our grief. 
No intention of being insensitive to grief, not for a moment. As I said, grief is, is a season and it comes in, in waves and sometimes one minute you're okay and the next minute you're not okay and you don't even know where that wave came from. But as Jesus walks along with us, he walks with us today. And he's not the cheap shot answer kind of guy. You know what I mean? People that don't know what to say, so they say dumb stuff. Like, if you've ever said to somebody that has lost a loved one, well, they're in a better place, don't say that. Don't say that. We say stuff like that when we don't know what to say. Then don't say anything. Well, at least they're not suffering anymore. Don't say that. If you don't know what to say, then just let them know that you love them and you're praying for them. Make yourself available to them. Give them space in the way that's important to them. Lesson number one is Jesus understands our grief and our time to be away. There are those times, but we just can't stay there. And let me explain. In verse 3 of Matthew 14, it says, When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I have a picture in my head of what that looks like because I have a favorite spot on Thousand Island Lake up in the UP. Go around the corner and sit there and there's nobody there. Maybe a bird once in a while. But it's the most solitary place that I know. Well, Jesus withdrew by himself in a boat to a solitary place. And hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot. See, they had, they had seen what he's been doing. They had been following him, his teachings and his healing. So when Jesus landed, it says in verse 14, when he landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He was in a boat. People were following him. There was no scooters and bikes and cars then. So they were running along the shore to be the first to be near him when he landed. And in his pain and in his grief and in his need to be alone, in the middle of all of that, his heart of compassion rose up. In the middle of his own grief, as he sees the need, lesson number two, be ready no matter what season you are in. Excuse me. I believe there's a lesson here for us. The last thing that we should do is put a time frame on somebody's grief. Do you hear me? Because we do that. Oh, well, you know, he died a while ago. She should be through that by now. <clears throat> Don't do that to somebody. If you've done that to somebody, apologize to them. We cannot put a time frame on somebody's grief because, like I said, it comes in waves. And when you least expect it, you get broadsided because you thought you were okay. <clears throat> you have no idea how long that they need to be out in that boat and they might need to take another trip out in that boat. Be kind, be patient, be loving. If it reaches a time when you fear that they've been out in that boat too long, then just check on them and make sure that they're okay. Love them, encourage them. Do something positive for them and with them. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just be present and not say anything. Then after healing sick and ministering to people all day 
It's evening time. It's dinner time and everybody's hungry. It says in verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds home so they can go to the, or send the crowds away so they can go to villages and buy themselves some food. 5,000 people, seriously? That's like a big Walmart. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You need to give them something to eat. Imagine the disciples, right? Seriously? We got five loaves of bread and two fish, and you expect us to feed 5,000 people? I'd be scratching my head. I mean, they saw Jesus do miraculous things, right? But we're talking 5,000 people. How many times have you looked at what you didn't have and assumed that you couldn't do something? And I don't mean monetary. But most often, we look at what we don't have at Jesus' point. What he's trying to teach them is that he is the source. He is the source, and he operates through his people. <clears throat> Especially when we're in our own pit of grief. It's very easy to say, I got this own mess going on. Somebody else is going to have to do it. And here's what Jesus said to them. Jesus said in verse 18, bring them here to me. And I don't think he said, bring them here to me. I think he said, bring them here to me. And Jesus is still saying, lesson number three, bring them here to me. Because the plan is, friends, that he, used, he wants to use us. God never wastes a hurt. Do you know that? You will never go through a hurt that God won't use. He doesn't waste a hurt. If you're in a dark place, you need to know that Jesus is right there with you. And he doesn't waste a hurt. The pain that you're going through, he will use you to touch someone else who's hurt and broken just like you. That, that one that feels unless Jesus shows up, their heart is so broken that, if he, that they're going to hemorrhage if he doesn't tie a tourniquet around their heart. All they need is someone that cares. See, here's the thing. In, book, in the book of John, chapter 14, Jesus prepared his disciples for the fact that he was leaving. You're going to get the Gunnar paraphrase of this. <clears throat> Jesus had the, disciple, the conversation with his disciples and told them that he was going to be leaving and that it was good for them that he was leaving. And they were, Gnir paraphrase, freaking out. What do you mean it's good for us? You can't be, no, you've only been here three years and how you can't leave and we're still learning and blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and Jesus said, no, you don't understand. It's good for you because if I leave, my father is going to send my spirit to live inside of you. And greater works will you do. My work will be multiplied through all of you because my spirit is within you. My spirit is in you. And get this. If you jump over to Romans, it says that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Even in your grief. That same spirit dwells in you. So to you, my friends, no matter what place you are as a believer, full-grown grief, full-blown grief, or someplace in the middle, or walking with someone that 
you know is. You need to know that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within you, and he wants to use you. Jesus said, bring them here to me. That's all we need to do. We don't need to be so smart to do that. It's our responsibility today. One of the main reasons that God placed his spirit in us is that the work would continue and we would reach more people for Christ. So they did as Jesus asked them to do. In verse 19, it says, He directed the people to sit down in the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that was left. Isn't that freaky? Come on. 5,000 people? The number of those that ate were 5,000 men besides women and children. All because they simply brought them to Jesus. This whole scenario was about more than bread and fish. This whole scenario is that Jesus is showing us that he is our supply. Jesus is the source of our grief. He is our source, period. And when you and I do as the disciples did and bring people to Jesus, number five, lesson is nobody is left behind when they come to Jesus. And that's really the bottom line. He will use you as you share your story. And it might be dreadfully painful right now to think about sharing a story. Or someone that you love, it may be dreadfully painful to think about being that transparent with someone. But I promise you, if you will allow yourself to be that transparent, there might be tears. There might be snot running. It might not be a pretty picture, but God will use you sharing your story. Because his spirit dwells in you and he never wastes a hurt. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Again, compassion rose up within him. His disciples were grieving just like he was. They're the ones that had to come and tell him for heaven's sakes. So what did he do? He said, go. I'll clean up and dismiss everybody. You go. Get in the boat. Go on the other side. And then he once again went up into the mountain to be alone. So what do we extract out of that? He had great compassion. And that's the compassion. That's the compassionate Lord who, <clears throat> who knows the need that we have and meets it. Remember, you and I have that same spirit living inside of us. And you and I are really conduit. And conduit is a trough or a pipe or a, for water or fluid to run through or a tube or, or a pipe that protects electric wiring. So the, the, the conduit itself does nothing but provide for the Spirit of God to be able to work through. That's you and that's me. Think for just a moment about how the Spirit flows through people. Thus the greater works that you will do because God doesn't waste a hurt. So the question tonight is will you be that conduit that the Spirit flows through? Will you allow him to use you 
to not give people cheap shot answers, but to love them and sometimes just sit in a boat with them or allow God to be, for you to be transparent enough to share your story because surely, as bad as you may hurt, there's someone else that hurts like that. And the encouragement that they feel from someone who understands and has been there and you're able to share with them what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus is working in you, greater works you will do because we simply say, yes, I'll be the conduit. You know, I had someone recently in wrapping this up. Most recently, I had conversation, numerous conversations with, with someone who was just so hard to reach. Their struggles were so deep and they were so broken. So much brokenness and so much devastation and so much destruction in their life, most of it that they weren't responsible for. And then to top it off, they didn't believe that God was even real. So what did God say to me? Be patient with them. Continue to just love them. Continue to show them my grace and mercy. Continue to tell them that I love them. Show my love through your actions and your words. Continue to tell them that you're praying for me. And this individual would say to me, but you know, you know I don't believe. And my, my standard answer was, I know, but I do. And I know that my God loves you that much. That he's going to show you in ways that you can't explain and that you can't blame on anybody else. Because that's my God. And that's what he does. And things began happening in that person's life. As I simply submitted myself to being conduit, that he worked through. I didn't have to have short, snappy answers. Things began to happen because Jesus would say to us tonight, just bring them here to me. God says, show them grace and mercy. Mercy is when, <clears throat> excuse me, mercy doesn't give us what we deserve, right? Grace, on the other hand, gives us what we don't deserve, God says, give them grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy that you have received from me. Lesson number six is Jesus always gives us what we need, not what we deserve. I don't deserve his love and his grace and his mercy, nor do you. But that's what he gives us tonight. And that's what he asks us to give others, even in the midst of our grief. Point them to Jesus. Once again, to quote your pastor, time is short. And eternity is long. Will you walk with Jesus through your grief? Will you help others realize that he is the source? He'll never give you a cheap shot answer. Take a moment away when you must. Jesus will be the one sitting in the boat next to you and he won't say a word. But he'll be there with you. In your grief, be transparent enough for others to see him through you. And as they do, they will see Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I would ask in Jesus' name that for every person that is in this room, no matter where they are, whether it's their own grief that they are carrying, God, you didn't make for us to carry heavy loads. You said our, our yoke is heavy and yours is light. And you offered a swap with us. So God, I pray for my friends tonight, those that are in the throes of grief. God, that they would turn it over to you. 
and that you would literally rescue them and help them to just breathe and to breathe you in, Jesus. And God, for those that might be walking with others that are going through grief, Father, help them to be you with skin. To speak your encouragement, to speak your love, to speak your grace, to speak your mercy. God, use us as your people to do what only you can. During this time when there's red flags all over the place for so many, that you would use us. Because time is short and eternity is long. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.